It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Tyrus. I'm Liz Clayman. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, May 25th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. He's in. Now comes the hard part as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis runs for president. If he can't get control of the agenda about why he is articulating his policy, why he's had and picked these fights, it's going to be a really long summer and fall for him. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. He didn't serve himself, but his portrayal of a wounded veteran has given some of our disabled service members hope. And the actor-turned-advocate is reminding us all to remember our troops this Memorial Day. I am honored to always be a part of the National Memorial Day concert, where we always highlight those sacrifices. We speak with Gary Sinise. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. After months of speculation. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. Florida's Republican governor posted a video and filed his presidential paperwork, then made his formal announcement during a Twitter Spaces event with Elon Musk, who tried to explain lengthy technical issues. I think we've got (laughs) just a massive number of people online, so it's... um, Servers are straining somewhat. The event crashing before resuming for a lengthy conversation with the governor who's pledging to reach Inauguration Day if he wins the GOP nomination. No excuses. I will get the job done. DeSantis is drawing criticism from both sides. The Republican frontrunner, former President Trump, says he needs a personality transplant. Fellow candidate Nikki Haley releasing a video comparing DeSantis to Trump and telling reporters in New Hampshire yesterday. The way he speaks, the way his hand gestures are, the fact that he's moved his policies, whether it's Ukraine and Russia, to entitlement reform, he's done a total 180. All of it's copying Trump. The Democratic National Committee says DeSantis has pushed an extreme MAGA agenda that he now wants to take nationwide. In his first post-announcement interview last night, DeSantis telling Fox News... There'll be slings and arrows, but I'm a big boy. I can take it. There's a lot of people that have given a lot more than that. Uh, so that this country can be free. As for the announcement glitches, he says a record audience broke the Twitter space and that he's excited with the enthusiasm. In the old days, when a candidate declared, you know, there was a very little that went on before the declaration, a little bit of organization and fundraising, and then all the action came afterwards and the candidate was judged by the rollout. Nowadays, though, there's several bites at the apple. Darren Shaw is co-director of the Fox News poll and a professor at UT Austin. What this does for DeSantis, though, is it removes all doubt about whether he's running. It allows him to kind of emerge as a full-fledged candidate. His team has obviously decided this is when they should do it, before Memorial Day, right? So as we're kind of moving into the summer, before people tune out and before some of the earliest debates occur. Um, So there's reason to have done it when he's, you know, when he has. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who think he waited a little bit too long and that the campaign took on a little bit of water as Trump kind of dominated the spring and DeSantis was a little handicapped with respect to what he could do because he wasn't a candidate. He's also faced some questions about how he decided to do it with this Twitter launch, one pro-Trump pack called DeSantis out of touch for using Twitter spaces to make an announcement. Um, Although Elon Musk does have a lot of followers 
himself. Um, and then on top of those advanced questions, once the event happens, you have all these technical issues. How much does that matter? Is that going to matter with voters or with donors? I'm sure it's something that his critics are not going to let anyone forget about because it went the way that it went with these glitches. Right. It's it's a good question. Um, does the rollout get in the way of the announcement itself? Or does the fact that he is now a declared candidate, you know, basically obviate all those organizational problems? Um, I'm always a little suspicious of people who make the claim that a candidate's ability to organize and run a campaign is somehow predictive of how they'll perform in office, especially the presidency, because it's basically a way to take issue with some things that a campaign has done wrong and to kind of blow them up into something that actually matters from public policy perspectives. But you're right. It was a really interesting signal, right? Attaching himself to Musk and Musk's claim to fame recently has been someone who's championing free speech, someone who has been critical of the media and the connection between media and government. I think that symbolism, as much as the platform, was what DeSantis was going for here. I think in a couple of weeks, we'll be moving on to something else, probably something more substantive, like exactly what is it that distinguishes DeSantis from Trump? And you know what what is DeSantis's main claim that he's going to make to Republican voters about why they ought to dump Trump moving forward? Yeah, does he have enough of an argument there? I mean, the former president is still leading by double digits in early polls, including the newest Fox News poll, despite his ongoing legal troubles. How does DeSantis make up that ground? How does he distinguish himself? <laughs> that That is the question. Um, you know, the other candidates have either implicitly or explicitly talked about a change in tone about appealing to not only Trump voters, but other elements of the Republican Party. Um, DeSantis's claim seems to largely be, you know, his his functional success as governor of Florida. He stands up and fights the sort of forces that Republican voters are suspicious and skeptical of, like the news media, um, like some of the DeSantis referred to as the woke intelligentsia of the United States. I think that's appealing. But I'm not exactly sure if it's a brand that is sufficiently distinctive from Trump uh, to get Republican voters to move off of him. I mean, the, the main argument has got to be winning and electability. And the problem, of course, has been that Trump, for a variety of reasons, runs as strong as DeSantis does in these preliminary polls. Um, you know, I think that could change. But it, it's, if it's going to change, it has to be because DeSantis is bringing something to the table that appeals to independents and other voters. And that might come at the expense of support from Republicans. Um, that That is really the strategic issue right here, right? If your argument is electability and that the country uh, is tired of Trump, Trump can't win in 2024, well, then you have to show that you can win. But to do that, you may have to change your appeal in a way that reduces your, you know, reduces your support amongst the key Republican electorate that you're courting. Trump is saying that DeSantis can't win a general election. He's called him disloyal. He says he needs a personality transplant. A lot of people, though, wrongly thought that Trump was unelectable in 2016. It, you know, is he now wrong about DeSantis or is DeSantis giving too much credit to his landslide reelection as Florida governor? Oh, my gosh. Are you suggesting that there's uh, a little bit of hypocriticalness to the criticisms of <laughs> that are coming under DeSantis? Um, yeah, it's I, I think that uh, in DeSantis's case, um, and, and you can see this is this is a smart move by the Trump campaign. They are trying to lay the predicate that 
Uh, his success in Florida isn't really attributable to him, that his victory in 2022 was sort of on the heels of administration policies, Trump administration policies that kind of paved the way. Um, you know, I, I think DeSantis, what you assume is that DeSantis and his team are going to claim that to the extent that they broke with Trump, it was because they were more in line with traditional conservative and, and sort of Republican principles than, than Trump was. I, I don't know. You know, this is going to be interesting. I mean, issues in this campaign and this Republican campaign are going to have to serve a broader purpose. Right. I mean, arguing about trade policy, arguing about debt ceilings or some of these kind of down in the weeds type policy discrepancies between the, the candidates is going to mean nothing unless those differences are attached to a broader claim that Republican voters are going to find compelling. Has he gone too far to the right on some of the culture issues in Florida, though, some of the education issues, for instance, even 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 some of the COVID issues. How does he bring that back to a broader audience if he's yeah. got if he has to lean, which is always the perennial question right in the primaries, he's going to sort of lean into that to the base for yeah. the primaries. Yeah. You know, I think this is something that Republicans have faced for a couple of cycles right now. Trump seemed to be really pretty good at this, which is Trump's personality is extreme. Uh, his politics and his rhetoric is extreme. His his politics, with with some exceptions, I'm sure, you know, progressives would would argue with this statement. But I, I don't know that his policies were nearly as extreme as his personality and his tactics. Um, DeSantis, you know, you, you you think about the positions DeSantis has taken, and his I think his problem moving forward is that he's taken issue with restrictions on free speech. He's taken you know issue with he thinks a. Uh, you know, a culture that's gotten too far out in front of mass opinion in the public. You know, he's tried to make a defense of traditional sort of family values. I actually think those are probably winning propositions, except they have been portrayed as a move to court Republicans as embracing an extremist agenda. I mean, he is in a political fight, and I think he's he needs to get control of, of the rhetoric again. And basic claims he's made, I think, actually have fairly popular and populist appeal. But they've been portrayed as pandering, as extremism. And if that continues, if he can't get control of the agenda about why he is articulating these policies and why he's had and picked these fights, it's going to be a really long summer and fall for him. Although he's far behind Trump in the polling, he's far ahead of the rest of the primary field right now, including this week's other new entry, Senator Tim Scott. Does that hurt DeSantis in some way to sort of have that early big lead over the rest of the field? I mean, it's more pressure in some yeah. way, isn't it? Yeah. The problem, I think, for DeSantis is that Trump supporters, you know, Trump supporters say that if their second choice is DeSantis, um, which means that every other candidate in the now, meanwhile, DeSantis's supporters kind of go, they go a little bit to Trump, but they go to some of the other candidates as well. That means that there's a huge incentive for every other Republican in the race to go after DeSantis because every DeSantis voter they shake loose, they have a shot at. If they go after Trump, Trump supporters have said, well, they'll just go to DeSantis. So why would Tim Scott or Nikki Haley go after you know Trump when all that's going to do is probably accrue to DeSantis's advantage? So that's a long-winded way of saying, I think that's the negative of the dynamic that, that exists right now. Um, and that is... Really, DeSantis is the only one with an incentive and, and the need to go after Trump at this stage of the game. Um, and as we know from 2016 and to a lesser extent 2020, going after Trump comes with, with some peril. 
One other thing for now, anyway, (laughs) um, in the new Fox News poll, President Biden is having a big drop in many categories, including honesty, having the judgment to serve, the cares about people like me question, and only a third think he's a strong leader. That number is 51 percent for Trump. How much does that hurt the rest of the Republican field, including DeSantis? Yeah, these numbers on both sides, the the negative traits associated with the two frontrunners, with Biden and, and Trump, are unprecedented. And the ones that really matter historically have been empathy. You know, does the candidate really care about people like you? And then is the candidate a strong leader? And Democrats have tended to dominate on empathy and Republicans have tended to dominate on the leadership number. So it's it's not unusual for the Democrat to be lower than the Republican. Trump's strong leader numbers, that's the whole game for him. That, that's where that, that's the thing that keeps him afloat with Republicans, et cetera. Um, in terms of traits, Trump's trustworthy numbers are quite low. The corruption numbers that we also have in there are low. The make the right decisions numbers that we have are low. That's something that I think the opponent should take a look at because that's his Achilles heel. If I were strategic, I would point to those numbers. Look at what Democrats and independents and even some Republicans think about this guy. They think he's corrupt. They think he he doesn't care about people like them. He's not empathetic and that he's not going to make the right decisions. Darren Shaw, co-director of the Fox News poll, also professor at UT Austin. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, as always. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. Ahead of this Memorial Day, actor Gary Sinise is reminding us all to remember those who fought and died in service to our country by highlighting the stories of our military members who served over the last several decades. But in a Fox Nation special to air Friday, he's also being celebrated himself by proxy through the role he played as Lieutenant Dan in the Oscar-winning film Forrest Gump, released nearly 30 years ago. The way he portrayed a disabled vet in the, in the movie, it just was very endearing to to people like me who didn't have flakes. So I was I was his friend before I ever met him. <laughs> David Riley is now National Commander of the Disabled American Veterans Charity, or DAV. Sinise now has his own foundation, but works with DAV regularly. He's also traveled all over with his Lieutenant Dan Band to entertain troops. Mark Burgess is a national adjutant with the DAV. It was so important to the DAV that Gary Sinise knew the effect that he had on Vietnam veterans. They saw themselves in Lieutenant Dan. Sinise has said he felt guilt after hearing stories from his wife's brothers who fought in Vietnam and that the reaction he got to the role he played changed his life, recalling the first time he went to visit wounded troops earlier on in the Iraq war at a hospital in Germany. Lieutenant Dan walked in the room that day and lifted everybody up. And so I realized sharing that story of Lieutenant Dan with veterans who were actually real life Lieutenant Dan's was a very positive thing. And aside from the Fox Nation special, The Journey of Lieutenant Dan, Sinise is also back to host a Memorial Day special Sunday night. I hope we can get the the word out just simply that the Memorial Day concert uh, is something for our, our nation. Gary Sinise is an actor and founder of the Gary Sinise Foundation. You know, we have a, a pretty great audience on PBS each year for the show. 
Uh, it is a you know a, a very popular show on PBS uh, for their you know their uh, company, but I wish more people would tune into it, and that's what that's what I'm I'm hoping this year because it is a way for the nation to kind of recognize the sacrifices that have been made in service to our country over the years to keep us free. And that's that's what Memorial Day is all about. And so many people um so many people kind of forget about that a little bit. It, it's a wonderful uh, weekend. There's uh, always ball games and hot dogs and and that kind of thing, but the reason we have that day set aside each day is to recognize that uh there's a cost of freedom and uh this year we you know uh, once again we will be highlighting our gold star families um of which there are way too many yeah. and um at the Gary Sinise Foundation we have initiatives at the Gary Sinise Foundation to recognize and serve the needs of our gold gold star families and uh i am honored to always be a part of the national memorial day concert where we always highlight those sacrifices this year at the concert also we're recognizing the 50th anniversary of the end of combat operations in vietnam wow and the return of our pow's 50 years ago our pow's came home from vietnam as combat operations came to an end there and uh, we will have uh, we'll be featuring the story of one of our POWs, but we'll have eleven POWs on stage with us this year, wow. um, representing the entire group of POWs. I wanted to so, yeah, I wanted to uh, ask you about the the PBS special because it's really packaged in a way that it's very digestible, right? It's it's the Gold Star Family highlight, it's POW highlight, and then you sort of take us back in time, right? It's we, we, We're going to hear from Korean veterans. We're going to hear even about World War II veterans. So you can sort of follow the trajectory of, of our service members over the last 70-plus years. Yeah, well, yeah, we always do. It's a 90-minute show with uh, multiple segments, uh, multiple stories that we feature, individuals and families uh, uh, that represent you know a particular conflict well like i say we'll have the pow's on stage um from from uh, the vietnam war we'll have uh, a korean war segment we'll have a world war ii segment we'll have a gold star segment we have multiple singers uh powerful performances by yolanda adams and uh, Trace Atkins, uh, Jody Messina, uh, the National Symphony Orchestra, uh, multiple entertainers that lend their, you know, that come and, and want to be a part of it. Uh, Mary McCormick has been doing the show now for a while, and she, she returns every year. Joe Montagna and I are the co-hosts of the show. Uh, it's something I, I wouldn't miss. It's just a great way to kind of recognize as a nation that there has been a cost of freedom. And we want to honor and salute and celebrate those those sacrifices that have been made all these all these years that have kept us free. Is there anybody in particular that you're looking forward to hearing from, or that you that you hope we all hear from? Is there a particular story or veteran story um, that we should that we should especially pay attention? Well, to? I'll be uh, I'll be 
one of the segments that I'll be doing is the POW segment. And uh, having Vietnam veterans in my family, having been focused for decades now on supporting our, our Vietnam veterans, having played a Vietnam veteran, Forrest Gump, and whatnot, that, you know, I'm looking forward to, to you know, to narrating that particular segment. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it to the producers uh, quite a while ago that we, you know, this was the 50th anniversary of the return of the POWs. In fact, um, you know, the the week that we do the National Memorial Day concert, um, our POWs be, will be coming from Yorba Linda, uh, California, where they will have a 50th anniversary celebration at the Nixon Library. Mm. Um and recognizing that 50 years ago, in May uh, of 1973, President Nixon, uh, I held what I still think is the largest gathering on the lawn of the White House ever to welcome home our POWs from Vietnam. And at the Nixon Library, they're doing a reunion of sorts uh, and then the, uh, some of the POWs will get on an airplane and fly to Washington, D.C. and be a part of the National Memorial Day concert. Gary, finally, um, as you just referenced, you played Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. And if anybody's listening to this and hasn't seen you as Lieutenant Dan, then they have to go watch that movie. I I'm sure you get questions all the time about that role and what it meant to service members, but also how it educated people like me at the time who were very young and, you know, hadn't necessarily ever interacted with a veteran, especially a disabled veteran. Uh, how much did that role change your advocacy and the reaction you got from playing that role? Um, what did it mean for your advocacy for veterans and for our, our former service members? And how did it, I guess, shift your course in, in your advocacy? I, I think it was it was significant. I mean, I have veterans in my own family and Vietnam veterans. And so uh, back in the 80s, I, I started supporting them in various ways. I felt a lot of compassion for our Vietnam veterans uh, as, as they came home to a, you know, a very difficult, struggling nation over the Vietnam War. And our Vietnam veterans kind of fell through the cracks. There was no welcome home for them. Uh, it was it was years later through the efforts of the Vietnam Veteran Memorial Fund and Jan Scruggs who led the effort to build the Vietnam Memorial that they started being recognized and and kind of the nation sort of started apologizing for what happened. Mm. Uh, when I got the opportunity in the '90s to play Lieutenant Dan, that was that was significant, and uh, I felt honored to do that and with the Vietnam veterans of my own family and having supported them back in the 80s uh, the opportunity to play Lieutenant Dan was was a real blessing and now uh, after Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, you know a whole new generation of wounded coming home from those wars yeah. uh, I started visiting the hospitals and I would see that they would recognize me as Lieutenant Dan and that was <laughs> And they wanted to talk about that story, and it was very powerful and very meaningful to me that I that a character that I played in a movie could actually uh, open up conversations between me and, and wounded veterans. And now I've you know started my own foundation, and 
have uh, a lot of services that we're providing at the Gary Sinise Foundation to, to support the men and women who serve our country. I know I have to let you go. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us on this Memorial Day about what you want us to think about or keep in mind or how we can be supportive of our of our veterans? Well, I do hope uh, as many people as possible tune in, um, you know, May 28th, 8 o'clock on PBS and see what we're doing. Um, it's a powerful show. I know there are people that watch it every year, and we welcome you back and, and spread the word out there. It's a wonderful concert and, uh, and a great way for the nation to recognize those sacrifices. Gary Sinise, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Meet the American who unlocked the science of gender. Dr. Nettie Stevens broke down barriers for women and opened up doors of knowledge to all mankind. She's the person who decoded the science between the two genders, a pioneering cytogeneticist and researcher at Bryn Mawr College outside Philadelphia. Stevens, in 1905, discovered that sex is determined by hereditary traits passed through chromosomes. Females are born with a pair of XX chromosomes, inheriting the X from both the mother and the father. Males are born with XY chromosomes, the X is from the mother, the Y is from the father. Stevens further discovered that the determinant X or Y chromosome was passed through the father. Stevens studied insects, but the same chromosomal factors have proven to determine sex in most species, including humans on the planet. Humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes. One pair, known as the sex chromosomes, determines male or female gender. It's settled science today, but the work of Nettie Stevens revolutionized the fields of genetics at the turn of the 20th century. Ironically, Stevens never quite got credit for her work at the time because, among other reasons, she didn't have a Y chromosome. Nettie Maria Stevens was born July 7, 1861 in Vermont to Ephraim and Julia Maria Stevens, both apparently from longtime Massachusetts families. Stevens' mother died when the girl was only two years old, and after that, the family moved to Westford, Massachusetts, and Stevens eventually proved a standout student at Westford Academy, a public school that's still around today. She was reportedly one of only three girls to graduate from the high school in more than a decade. She became a school teacher in New Hampshire, but still, she burned with an ever greater intellectual passion. As a result, well into her 30s, she moved across the country to study at the upstart New Leland Stanford Junior University in California, today known as Stanford University. Stevens received a bachelor's degree in 1899 and a master's degree in biology in 1900. She then received her Ph.D. at Bryn Mawr in 1903 at the age of 41. You can learn more about Stevens' fascinating story in the Meet the American Who series on Fox News Digital. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? Just when you thought the backlash against Bud Light would have been a wake-up call for American corporations to stay out of the social justice business, Adidas is illustrating how its own woke mindset 
is impacting how it's viewed by Americans and women in particular. Strangely, Bud Light and Adidas seem to think that ostentatiously using biological men to portray women in advertising somehow reflects support for the transgender community, but it doesn't. Instead, it signifies a complete disconnect from the average consumer while fetishizing and politicizing transgenders in an effort for political and social justice credits. The latest example of this canceling of women comes from Adidas, which recently unveiled its Pride Swimsuit 2023, a $70 women's bathing suit modeled by a flat-chested biological male with a prominent telltale bulge in his crotch. This swimsuit is the first choice under all women's clothing and women's sportswear in the Adidas website. And never fear, to hide that unladylike bulge, Target is now helpfully marketing women's swimsuits with, quote, tuck-friendly construction and extra crotch coverage, the perfect Father's Day gift. Riley Gaines, former NC2A swim star and women's rights activist, tweeted her concern, quote, I don't understand why companies are voluntarily doing this to themselves. They could at least have said the suit is unisex, but they didn't because it's about erasing women. Ever wonder why we hardly see this go the other way? No civil rights movement in this country, whether it be for blacks, women or gays and lesbians, was predicated on the notion that some other group had to be subsumed or canceled for success to be achieved. Being who we are as women or as people of color isn't just about our appearance. It's about life experiences from childhood on. When it comes to portraying women, seeing men sashaying in dresses and struggling to walk in high heels has long been a source of humor on stage and screen. There is nothing funny about Males with all their original equipment who claim to identify as transgender women threatening the safety and privacy of biological women and girls. We all know about biological males being allowed to compete on women's sports teams, destroying the concept of fair play. But there's more. For example, a 15-year-old boy wearing a skirt who was described as gender fluid was found guilty in juvenile court in 2022 of sexually assaulting a girl in a girl's restroom, which he was allowed to use because of his professed gender identity. A Pew Research Center study conducted last year found that only about six-tenths of one percent of U.S. adults consider themselves transgender. The transgender people I know have gone through a great deal to address their gender dysphoria and the subsequent dramatic surgical changes they undergo to feel completely themselves. What woke progressives and their political lapdogs are doing to the reputation of genuine transgender people is horrible, but it serves a higher purpose for the left. More division, chaos, suspicion, and fear. But something is very wrong with our society when the tail wags the dog and the rights of any man who says he identifies as a woman are considered more important than the rights of tens of millions of biological females to privacy, safety, and opportunities to compete against other females in sports. Being a woman is more than putting on a dress, a woman's swimsuit, or lipstick and eyeshadow. Women and men are equal and should have equal rights, but we're not identical. Let's respect our differences and not insult women by telling us that men are better at being female than we are and that we have no right to be free of their prying eyes and possible assaults in female spaces. This is Tammy Bruce. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.